0: celebration in the Christian year. Our faith, above all else, is based on what happened at Easter 2,000 years ago. And the Easter event back then changes our lives now and continues to set us on a totally new life direction. So now I want to ask a brave person Is there somebody here in one sentence, ten words or less, who can give us, call out the essence of Christian faith? Is there somebody who could do that? One sentence. What is the essence of our Christian faith? Thank you, Mike. He died for our sins thank you he did that in Christ God drew near to us he died for our sins enabled forgiveness to come reconciliation with God that's eternal establish a relationship forever give us a place and give us a future and how do you know that how do you know that the Romans crucified thousands of wannabe prophets (coughs) and thousands of would-be princes. So what makes this death different? Naomi? Oh, John? The resurrection, absolutely. Those two things go hand in hand. You were going to say that, weren't you, Naomi? The two things go hand in hand. What Jesus did on the cross God marked and made ours eternally by giving us back Jesus in the resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning, everything changed forever, everything. History took a totally new track. The purpose and future of humanity was renewed and even the direction of the whole universe, the whole of creation changed. And the risen Christ was the first sign that God's new creation was coming into being. Everything would be different. Now that's a big claim. But what does that mean in practical terms for us now, two thousand years later? Now it'll take you a lifetime, and it will take you a lifetime to really answer that question. But in twenty minutes. I would like to suggest to you three areas where we followers of the risen Christ should spend our lives exploring the first one we've mentioned this already in our songs and in our prayers and in comments by Tony and in our readings the first one is presence the resurrection means that Jesus' presence is available to us. Think about that. Jesus promises to be present with every person who chooses to follow him. Jesus is far more than an example of how life should be lived, although he is that. He's not just inspiration and encouragement about how to do life well, but he is that too. He's not just a practical guide for right living, although he does provide that. At his essence, Jesus promises his real living presence to every one of his followers in every circumstance and at every moment of life. Remember the final promise of Jesus at right at the end of Matthew's gospel when he was saying goodbye to the disciples on the top of a mountain in Galilee, his final promise was, and remember, I'm with you always till the end of the age, and the age ends when he returns in person. <clears throat> Mary Magdalene was rescued by Jesus from a life of oppression and horror she became his most loyal disciple she was the one who didn't run away she was the one who stayed at the cross right to the end she was the one who led the women back to the tomb to prepare the body for a decent burial only to find it gone she was the one to whom that strange man addressed that very weird message saying that Jesus had come back to life. And she was the one who rushed back to the disciples with the message. Mary Magdalene was the first one who preached the resurrection. But when she got back to tell the disciples, they didn't believe her. Luke, in his account, records the disciples' cynical response. They considered her message to be an idle tale. But Peter and John did run to the tomb themselves and found it empty. Imagine Mary's emotions. Mary followed Peter and John back to the tomb, back to the garden. She had been utterly traumatized. She had stood there in front of that horror all of Friday afternoon. She was overwhelmed with grief. She had lost the saviour that she loved. She was bitterly disappointed. She couldn't even do what a grieving family member would do and prepare the body for burial. And then she had this wild hope when a weird stranger said that Jesus was alive. And alongside that, she had that deep doubt. Could that possibly be true? Because she had seen what they did to him on Friday. She was in an absolute state of shock and then to cap it all off her message was rejected by the disciples who should have been her supportive brothers she was at the lowest point a human being can go and then there he is Jesus meets Mary meets Jesus himself Jesus present with her, gently calls her name and opens her eyes to what's happened, the totality of what's happened. At the moment of her deepest need, Mary experiences his his presence with her. The risen Christ is always present with us and from time to time, he makes himself heard and seen I want you to notice a few things about this presence of the risen Christ and the first one in every record of the risen Christ making himself known in the New Testament there's a thread of uncertainty and doubt every time Mary doesn't recognize him you think he would She knew him so well. Thomas won't take the message of the other ten disciples. He's not going to believe it until he can actually touch the scars. And remember Paul on the road to Damascus. He saw the light, was blinded by the light, and he heard the voice calling him to be God's missionary to the Gentiles. No one else standing there with him heard it. And then going back to uh, the... um, The Matthew account, when Jesus sends a message, I'll go ahead of you and I'll meet you on a mountain in Galilee, and they go here, and Matthew records, and there they saw him and believed, and the next three words, two words, but some doubted. And there's Jesus right in front of them. In every resurrection account, in every appearance, there's that thread of uncertainty and doubt. And that thread is there with our encounters with the risen Christ. It's as though doubt is almost an essential part to encountering the risen Christ. And if you think about it, there's a reason for that. Doubt requires faith. The two go hand in hand. If you're so certain about something being true, that's actually not faith. It's when you have deep doubt, but you follow what you think God is calling you into, that is faith. The risen Christ can only be recognized by the eye of faith. Doubt and faith need each other. And remember doubting Thomas? Doubts are not necessarily bad. Doubting Thomas, Jesus actually opened his eyes and he did get the opportunity to touch the scars. But did that mean doubting Thomas was a lesser disciple? The record of what Thomas did is a little bit vague because he went east, the others went west. Thomas ended up in India and the churches that Thomas planted down the west coast of India are still in existence second thing to remember about these experiences of the presence of christ in giving jesus back god gave us the spirit of christ the resurrected christ has given back to be present with his people in a new way same jesus but different from jesus of nazareth who walked around that little country of of nazareth and got hungry and um, slept and taught crowds Same Jesus, but he was given back through his spirit. There's a mysterious comment in that passage we read about Mary's experience. Jesus says, don't touch me till I've ascended to my father. What he's saying then is a mysterious comment. He's saying, don't hang on to Jesus as I was. I'm going to the father, and father and son will give Jesus back. The resurrected Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, in a new way, so that every person in every age at every moment of history can have access to that Jesus. The very next passage in John's Gospel after the Mary in the Garden story is the evening, Sunday evening, and Jesus is there with the disciples, and Mary would have been there too. And he said and he breathes on them. And he says, receive my spirit. And then he commissions them. As the Father sent me, so I send you. A new way of receiving Jesus for all time, for every person, for every moment. Third thing to remember about that presence. The risen Christ is always present. He's always close. He's so close that he's even closer than your best friend or the partner of your life. But he's not readily identified. Sometimes he is. He's often disguised. He comes closer than close, but he's often camouflaged. And it takes faith and focus to see and hear him. Theologians call this mediated immediacy if something's immediate it's right there and now the risen christ is right there and now for you but his presence is mediated it might be mediated through the whisper of the words of of scripture it might be mediated by a prompt in your inner being it might be an audible voice or a vision. It might be experiencing his love through the love of somebody coming to you when you are down like Mary was down. Mediated immediacy. Paul calls this the secret that was hidden through all the ages and now been revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if the spirit of the, pres- of the risen Christ is present, in your life at all times, go searching for that presence. Look for him in every circumstance in your life, in your immediate situations, in your challenges, look for him because he'll be there. In your failures, he'll be there teaching you. In your requests, In your joys, he'll be there sharing them with you. In your friendships, he will be the glue that draws you together. In your work, he will be enabling you. In your recreation, good Christian word, recreation, he will be recreating you. Sometimes difficult to be seen because he's camouflaged, so ask for help. Ask your pastor, ask your home group. Could this be the risen Christ? doing something in my life? Talk about it. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths, says the proverb. Resurrection means that the risen Christ's presence is there with you always. Second one, power. Resurrection power is available to us we've read that in Ephesians chapter 1 I'll just read you a couple of those verses again Liam will flick them up there I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him see past camouflage that's what that's about spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand In the heavenly places the same power that brought the crucified Jesus to life as the risen Christ and made him available all to all of us that power is available to you it's the central power that holds the universe together and it's operating here with every one of us it's beyond all expressions of human power it's beyond all power of all natural forces and God makes that power available to us. But we need to know how God's power is wielded. It's not like human power. Human power is always, always linked to human selfishness. We want to dominate. C.S. Lewis said, the worst tyrant is the one who wants to dominate you for your own good. Human power is always linked to human selfishness. We want to get what others have got through power. We want to be able to consume resources by power. So don't you start lusting after that Ferrari, Richard. We want to enforce our own point of view. But God does not wield his amazing power in that way. He can do absolutely anything. His power is limitless. But God chooses to make his power available in weakness. The classic example, obviously, is Good Friday. God does not intervene at the cross at a bloody murder. But he quietly turns the corrupt power of the Jerusalem priesthood and the military might of the Roman Empire on their heads. He says an absolute no to those who killed Jesus, by bringing him back to life and giving him back to the whole of humanity in a new way. Power expressed through weakness. That's God's way for us in this age. Not to impose by force or by economic strength. God's way for us is to wield power through weakness. To do what is right when we're struggling to achieve it to use our weakness to attempt things which are far too strong, and to use poverty to overcome neediness. And we will see God turn things on their head. At some point in God's future, we will see the power of Christ expressed fully. But in the meantime, resurrection power as available to his people to be wielded in the way that Jesus did. Accepting people as they are, loving the difficult to love, forgiving abundantly, putting others' needs before our own, sharing resources of the planet, sometimes absorbing the brutality of of opposing forces and continuing to live like Jesus. Martin Luther King, Liam will flick up a picture, has a famous quote. He says that only goodness can drive out evil and only love can conquer hate. We in our culture think that you can fix any problem by education, by passing a new law, and they're throwing money at the problem. That's what we think. That has no power at all when it comes to dealing with evil or hate. Only goodness can overcome evil and only love can conquer hate. Resurrection power is incredible, but it's wielded by the weak. You have access to resurrection power wield it like Jesus does and the last one purpose the resurrection gives us a new eternal purpose and changes our life direction forever jesus was changed from jesus was raised from the dead to become the first fruit of god's new creation god is renewing the whole of creation he's freeing it from its inevitable compulsion to go wrong. Everything in creation, every single thing, breaks down or winds down or chooses the wrong. Paul call it, calls it creation's bondage to decay. Got any physicists here? A physicist would call it the second law of thermodynamics. That just says that everything in creation heads towards The greatest amount of chaos and the least amount of energy. It goes, it falls to bits. The risen Christ is God's first step in a new creation that is 100% good and totally, eternally sustainable. Jesus' resurrection ripples outwards towards the entire created universe, leaving no stone unturned. Everything in the universe is affected, and we as co-heirs with Christ are privileged to participate. Sometimes we think, sometimes we tend to limit the work of God to saving people for God's new future, but it's much more than that. We are called to participate in working for that new future now, and that new future affects everything listen again to how paul describes the risen christ in that colossians passage he is the image of the invisible god he's the firstborn of all creation for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created things visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers all things have been created through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Star systems, economies, the environment, the infrastructure required for life, Christ is at the core of everything and he has placed his people there in crucial locations everywhere to start it working towards God's future. We're called to participate and use our skills to participate in our corner and to do it in Jesus' way. I love this picture. That's Johnny Church. He's in Rwanda with the Australian SIS in the mid-90s. They were instructed, the number of casualties was too high. You can't save anybody You're there. You're just there to separate the warring Hutus and Tutsis, keep them apart. And Johnny Church disobeyed his orders. Christian compassion, seeing things with the eyes of Christ, picked up a sick child and took him to the regimental aid post. Of his military unit and saved that child's life you know Johnny Church's sister Sarah Smith that's her younger brother that photo went viral there's now an award in the Australian army called the Johnny Church Award for people who are in the services who you, who do acts of compassion you see how God takes his people places them in places where you least would expect and they turn the world around. Are there some teachers here? Are they? There are. There's a few. Do we read in Ephesians where God wants to open our eyes and give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, so we can know Him better, doing His work? Administrators. God wants administrators to manage His creation, His world, and builders. God's world is never finished. It keeps on developing. Anyone in the building game in some, in some way? Mike is. The two mics. Artists. God does things beautifully. We've got some artists here. We've got uh, Olive over there. Any other artists? God does things beautifully. Carers, love is a core part of his kingdom. Agriculturalists, the very first job is given to human beings was to attend the garden. Manufacturers, God wants us to be creators with him to make stuff that people can use. All sorts. We're building a new community that is eternal. It does seem to be beginning now a little bit sporadically. It's scattered when you look at the church and not very convincing until we realize that we're meant to be like Jesus. We're meant to be the powerless, the excluded, the poor, and the suffering. And then we look back over the last 2,000 years and see what that powerless community has done. The idea of universal freedom, freedom for everyone, comes from the followers of the risen Christ. It didn't exist before that. The idea of universal education, everybody should be given God's wisdom and God's knowledge comes from the followers of the risen Christ public health that idea comes from the followers of the risen Christ who were the pe- first people who established hospitals middle ages it was the church protection of minorities where did that idea come from that comes through the followers of the risen Christ Equality for women. The concept of love being the thing that needs to overcome hate. Where did that come from? And I see it being taken up wonderfully well by other cultures and other belief systems in our own experience in the last month. Why did Europe take a big step ahead in science after the Middle Ages? It came through Christian thinking. That's thoroughly documented by, by research. An economy where the poor matters. Where does that come from? It comes from the followers of the risen Christ. Ecological sustainability, housing and shelter for all. Where does that come from? New communities for the outcasts and the refugees. Where does that come from? All these are attributes of God's coming eternal kingdom and the followers of the risen Christ have been given the purpose of being a signpost for this and providing humanity a taste of this in advance. That is a massive eternal purpose and you are part of it and it comes as a result of Jesus' resurrection. So to conclude... Jesus' resurrection changes everything. The Lord of the universe is present with us in a way that is closer than our closest friend. He gives us his resurrection power to turn upside down the forces of rejection, estrangement, and death itself. He shares with us his eternal purpose where we can use our most life-giving joy-filled and people-blessing skills in ways that have eternal significance for others and for us. And the risen Christ enables us to follow him into God's eternity as co-heirs with Christ. C.S. Lewis, describing what happens to us as we commit to following the risen Christ and discovering it, discovering his ways used the analogy of being built into a house and Lewis says this you thought you were being built being made into a decent little cottage but he's building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself I mean